Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Don't get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. You can connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by Urban Myers Crisis Counselor, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Gerald, uh, I am good, and I'm, I'm delicately tiptoeing the line of, you know, is my wife, is my, is my mom, is my pastor listen to this podcast um because there's things that could be said about urban meyer the man from uh the state which which contains cleveland and i'll leave it there the the guy who uh never upset about a backdoor cover um the man who's up for the grind of uh of being a, an elite level coach um you know uh, a, a man who who has a type in his in his quarterback as well as his uh his bar uh, friends. I, she looked like Trevor Lawrence. Um, <laughs> I, I, Gerald, Gerald, keep me from from getting myself in trouble. I really just did this off top one to watch you indelicately tiptoe around that because I know you have coworkers that listen to this podcast. Uh, but also, I've been riding this train for like six months that unless Steve Sarkeesian burns down DKR, Texas dodged a bullet. Like, since Urban Meyer got fined during, like, non-required OTAs, I'm like, Texas dodged an absolute freaking bullet with this guy. Unless Steve Sarkeesian rides Bevo off into the sunset. (laughs) Like, rides Bevo into Big Bertha, ruining both of them. That's the only way that that this is not Texas dodging a bullet. Or takes uh, Bevo to Big Bertha, which, you know, could, could be bad for all kinds of people. Uh, here, here's what I'll say. Look, Gerald, um, I think you're right. I think regardless of how many wins Steve Sarkeesian finishes his career with, the fact that we didn't replace a coach who, I'm not giving my opinion, I'm not giving sources, but multiple people confirmed treated other people like an a-hole. <laughs> That's an un, unsighted but not unsourced quote. Scientific. In, in, in Tom Herman <laughs> to replace him with, again, another just very much jerk of a human in urban Meyer. I, I feel good at the very least, you know, like going from Mac to Charlie, you had guys you could love. You, you had no problem loving, right? At the end of Mac's career and most of Charlie's tenure, you, you, the wins weren't just plentiful. It's hard to love that, but the human beings you could love. And I feel like Sark is, is much closer to that than, than either urban or, or coach Herman maybe were. And so, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's love Texas football coaches again, because by God, we, we we got a pretty good staff of some some lovable guys on there, and and I like Sark. And so let's talk about what he did this week. Yeah, there, I mean, there's not a lot to dislike about Sarkeesian at this point. He's shown that he is a competent coach. He's also a man who uh, has the humility of someone who's overcome rock bottom, and that's something that I appreciate about him. Uh, he's got a good uh, good mix of candor, and um, he likes to, to he also likes to call out bad questions in press conferences, <laughs> and then we'll just leave it. At that, but Texas <laughs> under head coach Steve Sarkeesian went into Fort Worth and came away with a something that they haven't done since I was a single man with a win 32 to 27, planting a flag yet again. They didn't actually plant the flag, but they ran around with it at center field. Kyle, let's just let's just bask in what is hopefully the turning of the tide against the purple teams in the Big 12. Yeah, I, I, I said Sweaty Gary and his his possum-like face would, would play possum in this one, and that TC would be up for Texas. They would be better. It feels like three out of the past five years, they've had a bye week like one to two weeks before Texas. Funny how that works out. They always, back since you know they suspended their full team that one year, seem to have guys come back from injury or suspension or vacation or whatever for the Texas game who weren't there the weeks before. So they, they aren't on tape. You knew that this was going to be um, 
a fight in Fort Worth and and coming out with a win, even if it wasn't Texas's prettiest performance um, against the Gary Patterson coach team and defense. Again, a man who who gamesmanships his way uh, and and coaches up. And there's you know reports and stories in the past of him telling players that he'd cut them from the team if they don't beat Texas. You know, just this game means everything in the world to him. So just to get a win, right? Start there. Texas got a win. They changed the tide. They did it on the road where they haven't won a road game this year. So there was a lot of things that, you know, were, were weighing against them that they hopefully took those burdens off of their shoulders and now can fly and soar on the wings of eagles. Um, and, and I don't mean Brennan. I, I mean um, on, on the ground game, really, because, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian had a receiver win, a, win, win the Heisman last year, and so I think maybe there was a misconception that when, when Sark said, we're a run-first team, that he was he was placating the people who thought that Bijan didn't get the ball enough. Well, I think he got the ball enough. Yeah, he did. And, and before we jump into the specifics, I think the thing that was most impressive to me is like, you know, I, I'm a, like I said, I'm an advanced stats guy, and I'll go back and look at kind of the advanced stats box score. And Texas had a 48% win likelihood following the game like post game based on the advanced projections texas should have only won that game basically 4.8 times out of 10 and the fact that this team was able to go out grit it out and win it in spite of playing not their worst game of the year because we all remember (laughs) arkansas but their second worst game of the year they managed to win that's improvement Mm -hmm. because in previous years it feels like that's a game that texas folds when TCU goes 99 yards and scores, they go out and they go three and out, punt it, and TCU wins the game. Like, that's what this feels like. And it feels like a lot of those things, and there were mistakes, and there was a lot to clean up from this game. But the simple fact that Texas showed the fortitude to be able to buck up, bow up, and win a game that they shouldn't, that's the makings of a culture change, and I absolutely love to see it. Yeah, win your clunkers, like we said. I mean, I I think um, there, there were multiple phases in the game we'll go through and break them down but just high level there was points like i think you you said it. there was the 99 yard drive but before that immediately was they drove down and then stalled out with a a red zone uh offensive penalty which is an alarming trend um and and b two you know on the one yard line Bijan robinson runs after he had been as we said the savior and workhorse all game and, and just couldn't get it again that script you just feel like if if previous coaches was written exactly like you said it would have resulted in not just the 99 touch yard touchdown which again those two things compounded but the ability to then go and ice the game run and get the first downs and Bijan did it on the yep. third and six with just a heck of a run where you had two linemen coming and pushing him over the final yard showing at the end of the fourth quarter that hunger and grit and and kind of toughness that we maybe haven't seen um it felt very different there was you know we we talked about uh, or we tweeted about i guess and we could talk about the you know other red zone uh penalty when you had a, a third and one turn to a third and six and then a just incredibly awful uh, pass pro where you let a guy have a free shot at uh, at your quarterback there. Um, and, and, you know, you get three instead of seven. And, you know, again, these little things add up. You could have had momentum killers. You could have had shot myself in the foot moments. You could have had, hey, we didn't get that interception that two guys were fighting over. All these things that could have been like, oh, if we only got that play. Like, I mean, how many times did we break down the TCU game last year, which similarly had some odd officiating mm-hmm. on both sides and, 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 broke some momentum and had some big plays with some bad plays for both teams. Um, how many times we say if this went different, if there wasn't that fumble, if this would have happened, if we would have stopped dug in on this third and whatever, you know, wide open five uh, empty set uh, scramble up the middle, all those plays, those ones that you can think of, we don't have to think of. Now we can think, ah, this one and this one and this one all led to Texas getting the win. And Hey, like, like Sark said, it's way better to win ugly than lose pretty. Absolutely. You'll take an ugly win any day of the week. So now let's talk about how it happened. And you mentioned it already. You alluded to it already. But Bijan Robinson was everything for Texas in that game. Even when things got bad, even when things got scary, it seemed like Bijan was able to step up and prove that he is not the best running back in the conference or the best running back in the state, but likely the best running back in the country. Feed the beast, 35 carries, a career high, 216 yards, another career high, two scores en route to earning Big 12 Offensive Player 
of the week. Only one negative run play despite having defenders hitting him at the line of scrimmage. We can talk more about the line yards and things like that in just a minute. But when you're able to put the ball in your best player's hands and he's able to get it done and he you know, came out on Monday and said, yeah, I'm sore after every game, but I feel good and I'm ready to go. O to be 20 again. <laughs> o to, like, I'm sore just looking at that. I slept wrong in the hotel bed, and now I'm, like, still stiff two days later. Like, the ability to go out and take a physical beating 40 times and smile and feel good about it uh, and also continue to be one of the most elite players in the country is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Bijan also said it's fun to break the will of a defense because it shows the effort we put in during the week, which again is, is a generically sounding quote until you realize it's fun to break the will of a defense is just absolutely a devastating thing to hear if you are said defense and your will was in fact broken by a human doing that to you. Um, again, if Bijan wasn't just so constantly smiling and, and, and you know tweeting Bible verses and being a good teammate and friend and literally by all accounts an even better human than he is player, which we know he's an exceptional one of those, uh, you know, you 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 might be angry at him, but he just delivers it so so sweetly and unoffensively. I mean, he, the fact that he's tweeting good game and 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 positive things about Zach Evans after you know the game, he just he, Bijan is 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 maybe the most likable like superstar in 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 football at any level right now. He's just he's such a sweet human, and and unless he's on the field when he's an absolute menace. It's like the the quote from Conan the Barbarian, you know, what's what's best in life to crush your enemies than to see them driven before you and to hear the <laughs> lamentations of their women. Like that's that's what Bijan said, but in the nicest, most Sunday school way possible. Like it's hard for that man. Like it maybe it's even more menacing because it's just absolutely so like the you you listen to like athletes talk about like whose smack talk was the best and it's always the guy that's like oh you'll get you'll get him next time like that's what <laughs> B shot feels like where it's almost just like twisting the knife a yeah. little bit where it's like that guy is so I want to hate him but I can't and that's what it often feels like with Bijan but like he leads the nation in uh, broken tackles or, or creating missed tackles he's he's a guy who um is able to really pound the rocket in. There were knocks on him coming out of high school that, you know, top end speed or whatever. Like that was the big knock on Bijan. Like, does he have the top end speed? And I'm going to be honest with you. He makes most defenses look like he's still playing Arizona private school football. Like that's what Bijan looks like at this point. One foot in the dirt and he's gone and he's using your own body to gain three yards. He's like, you're going to try to tackle me. I'm going to bounce off of you, roll off of you, and then get an extra three yards because I am just that much better than you. And I, it is it's hard. Like he will hit a thousand yards by game seven is what it's looking like. So we're probably looking at a 15, 1700 yard season if things go right for him. And like, it feels like for the first time in a long time, uh, Texas has a guy that's their, their bell cow and a guy who's honestly the killer that they need in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, it, it credited to Mr. John to Foreman, but um, yeah, probably since him. And, and even then this feels like a more balanced offense that has some more weapons. It's not solely predicated. So if you take that away, you know, again, if someone takes away Bijan, good luck, but, um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, the 51 missed miss tackles per PFF is, is incredible. Um, he was talking about calibrating his spin move because uh, you know, <clears throat> there were a couple times, I guess, that it didn't work. But he's like, you know, when it, when it, when you do a, a spin move and a guy wants to do an o- open tackle, it's just terrible for them. You know, like his his almost empathy to what he's doing to people, he knows it sets them up for this, and he's he's you know improving. Second right now in the nation in rushing yards, third in yards, uh, excuse me, in, in runs of fifteen plus yards, fifth in yak, uh, tied for fifth in runs for first down, sixth in overall carries meaning there's room to still grow a legitimate Heisman uh contender right now um you know I I, it it is fun as we've said many times just watch him enjoy him soak it all up um he he is he is just so much fun and does such incredible the thing that's actually most interesting to me is his long on the day was only 27 it was a 27 yard touchdown um but most of the time when people average you know what he does or get the yardage that he does you can look at oh there was that one or two broken he had a 90 yard run he had a 78 yard just got out they they schemed the offense busted play whatever no he just literally ran for like 10 or 15 yards 15 or 20 times like you know it just (laughs) it, it was it was just a brutal and incisive beating of a defense that knew he was getting the ball and found no way to stop him
And I'm okay with that. I don't want him to have 35 carries a sure. game. Like, that's a way to break him down. I, again, I think Doc Texas put it out there on Twitter, but, like, the fact that, you know, De- Deontay Foreman had 51 carries in a game and somebody didn't arrest the offensive coordinator right. is still shocking. But to be able to feed that guy in the fourth quarter and to get the yards you need. Now, we can talk a little bit about the other running back. It's been a subject of conversation, and a lot of people on the internet have been talking about Keelan Robinson. Jamie Hayes uh, brought it up in our, in our mentions today on – Twitter and there's there's this weird kind of two two head two sided coin or two headed monster when you think of Keelan Robinson right because he's probably he is the fastest player on the team he's one of the more he can hit top speed better than anybody and that's a great ability and people want to see him get more touches and I think you're absolutely right his first touch in the game came with 17 seconds left in the third quarter and shocker went for a first down the second touch was two two plays later on a swing pass um, and he had a first down but he kind of just the turf monster got him and it set up a third and eight but there I think part of the advantage and why Keelan looks so fast is because he comes into the third quarter when teams have been beaten on yeah. by Bijan and Roshan for th- for two and a half three quarters so the defense is worn down and then this guy that runs a four four comes in and he can sprint by everybody and so there's that duality of like that's part of the advantage, but I think people are absolutely right. In a it, with a team that still needs dynamic playmakers, it's hard to see that guy only have three five ish touches on the on in a game. I agree, and I love the role of you know feed Bijan and let you know him wear you down a little bit more. Not only with you know power, but again with just his little subtle jump cuts and, and spins and jukes, and then like a closer in baseball who comes in and throws 102. You know, after seeing a, a Greg Maddox paint the corners all game, right, and just you know, blows by you. That's kind of what you can get with the role that he's in right now. Now, again, I, I would like to see do expanded touches dilute, you know, the product, but he's earned it, right? He is probably, I think, I don't know if there's going to be an objection to this, our best special teams player of the year, right? He saved a touchdown. Uh, they got it a couple of plays later on the opening kickoff, but because he ran a dude down, you know, straight up, he had a blocked punt that he was, you know, a quarter of an inch offside that, that negated that. Um, but he's done a lot of good things uh, and, and worked his butt off in all phases of the game to earn that. So, you know, I, I if the coaches, you know, practice what they preach, if you're working your tail off on, on special teams and, and you're the next guy up, you know, I hope that does translate and he, he does get some more chances and, and maybe they're just waiting to to break in case of emergency so they have that extra tool, extra gear, you know, and he'll have 100 yards against OU. Who knows? Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree that it's a, it's a weapon and we want to see what does 10 touches a game look like for Keelan or, or eight or nine at least, right? Like, you know, what, what are his hands like uh, down the field? Is that part of the game? We, we kind of alluded that it might be. So l- let's see what that looks like uh, as we have, you know, a big one on the horizon. And I wouldn't be shocked, like you said, to see more of that in the coming weeks. I think Sark has been slowly adding wrinkles uh, and different wrinkles to the uh, to the offense. So let's talk about the pass game because we are, what, almost 20 minutes into this. We <laughs> haven't done that yet. So uh, Casey Thompson had a bit of a pedestrian game. We'll go ahead and say it. 12-22, yeah. 142, a touchdown, and a very, very ill-advised interception. His one of the game also had eight carries uh, for 35 yards. Uh, he had 21 yards of sack in there so take that for what it may there is a there's a lot to be said because there were according to the stat sheet there were only two drops but when i went and recounted yeah there were like there were some that they called pass breakups but like whittington had it in his hands worthy had it in his hands and those are like you know 50 50 balls you have to win so i consider those drops so there are probably five-ish drops yeah uh, on the day and a couple of them i think you look at in the first half, he has Casey has Marcus Washington open for a first down, if not a touchdown, and the tackle gets beat off the edge. The ball gets tipped. That goes in the yeah. dirt. There are like those times where I think the Keelan Robinson yeah. swing pass in the fourth, early in the fourth quarter, if Keelan doesn't slip because that's out in front of him, so he can he can catch it full speed. So if Keelan doesn't slip on the wet turf, he might go for six. So there were a lot of yards left on the field, and yeah, the wide receivers didn't help him out a ton. And Texas still managed to win with the, probably, again, we can't call it the worst performance of the year, but a, a definite stinker from the pass game. Yeah, absolutely. And I think from the pass game is a good way to put it, because I don't think this is all on KC. I think this was not his best game, but I think, you know, 
this was also not our offensive line's best pass, pass blocking game. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that a little in the line section, but he did a lot with his legs. You know, he had a couple third downs that he converted just, you know, by an inch because he got where he needed to get. He's smart, knows how to do that. He had one very long run, um, which again, the stats with those sack yards bring down a little bit, probably had 50 yards. And I think 30 of it came on a big, you know, uh, a nice run to spring the offense. Even the interception, it was an ill-advised throw. There was two guys over the top. It looked like triple coverage. Two guys got over there because it floated a little. Um, He had some pressure on him, and the receiver very, very, very clearly uh, was held. I mean, you you, you call that all day. But again, that's not (laughs) the important part is the penalty. It's why did you decide to throw that? I know you're forcing it and you're trying to get some points before the half, but that just didn't feel like the time. He, actually, when Sark talked about his uh, the deep balls that Casey threw, he didn't call that one an interception. He called it a pass interference, which I, I laughed about. Um, but uh, <laughs> but but you know, oh, he, Gary he, Patterson, oh, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. He he opened the first and fourth quarters. It seems like Sark likes that coming out of kind of when the defense is cold and standing still uh, both times with shots. Right, the first one to Moore and the last one to Worthy, and it's the now patented you know, for this season image of a receiver falling over with a ball just past his outstretched fingertips. Uh, and you think what could have been, and I like the quote, I like the mentality that Sark has on it when asked today, if, uh, he was going to keep going for him. And he said, he, he told Casey and he's told the team, uh, a quote that he likes from Jerry West, which West said, I, I'm a 50% shooter. So if I go out and shoot over 10 in the first half, you better watch out in the second, right? He's that confidence that we're going to keep doing it. And I know that I'm good enough to do this and they're going to fall. And, and, Again, if we get to week 10 and we're still waiting, then then maybe that just isn't in the bag. Um, but I think Sark very much feels, and I hope to believe Thompson very much feels, that it's there. And that one-step timing that's off, that little bit too far, that receiver maybe looking back and not running through it or whatever it is, once those start hitting again, that's why we say this offense doesn't even feel like it's fully optimized form. Because once those hit, it changes everything. It, it stretches, it opens up. Those big explosive plays, again, linebackers are a couple yards deeper. Safeties don't come down so quick. Bijan has you know three extra steps, and you see what he can do with that. So it really does change everything if you can hit it a lot of points left on the field and there's a lot of opportunities for texas to improve on that and and when you think about what this offense can and should be i think we're seeing part of why there were reports out of camp that like casey threw some interceptions like these are the balls that got intercepted right kind of the those deep floaters there's two different things i think at play casey needs to realize some of the limitations on his ability and I feel like some of those passes, especially the one uh, uh, last week against Tech, that was a heat check. Like, that was absolutely heat check. I think this one, he was tr- – I, I think part of it was him seeing the pass interference and trying to draw the flag was part of sure. it. But sure. the refs ate their flags in a couple of different spots in this game and then threw some unnecessary ones in other spots. Worst officiated game I've seen. The very, I think it's the worst officiated game I've seen since Charlie Strong got flagged for a – official chest bumping him <laughs> like that was him. it's it's up there in that it's it's that uh it's that bad of a performance from the officials but i think there's there's a need for Casey to help the receivers and there's a need for the receivers to help Casey. Yes. And I think neither yeah. of those things are happening in the same motion. And there was a spot where Jordan Whittington helped him out a ton where he went up yep. and caught a big third. It was a big third down conversion, I believe made an adjustment in the air and showed why he was a, you know, consensus five-star uh, recruit by the time all it was all said and done. Josh Moore had a big third down catch. Um, Xavier worthy had probably his worst game of his yeah. short longhorn career. And I think make this the floor that you build upon, but there were a couple of spots where he went up and he just flat dropped one. He went up and you even saw a couple of spots. Um, when I rewatched the game, he came, he was the, the broadcast crew was trying to show Sark and you saw Andre Coleman giving it to him about his blocking performance mm-hmm. in the background as well. And so it was just a bad game from a young kid. He's 18. He's out there. And so there, he has a lot of opportunity and this is a game coming up and we'll talk about it on Thursday, but this is a game coming up where he can make a legend for himself and and he can improve and be the guy we saw two weeks ago. And so again, he's an 18 year old when you're playing true freshman at any spot, but especially at skill positions, you're going to see some of this up and some of this down, especially because TCU is playing juniors and seniors in their secondary. So there's, 
a lot to be said about his his maturity and how he's going to mature and develop over not just the rest of the year, but the three years that he's maybe two years he's got ahead of him. Yeah, and remember TCU has some great cornerbacks. One who's projected to go in the first round of the pick and in, in Tomlinson and and uh, in the first round of the draft. Um, you know, there's some good players over there. And again, for, expect a guy who's 18 to have three touchdowns every week is crazy. This is the train we're going to ride until we're playing. Um, you know, sophomores, juniors, and and maybe seniors. Um, but if we have the talent that Sark wants, maybe they'll only be here three years. But uh, you know what I mean? I think the play that you saw Jordan Winston go up and make to help his quarterback, the the run after the catch for the touchdown, that's the – Whittington is a great player. He's been in the program, and he's making plays. Xavier, where they having three touchdowns last week, was amazing. But to expect that to be every single week for, again, a kid, you see where if one doesn't go your way, then you're in your head. You know, So there's a, there's that growth. We, we know the talent is there. And like you said, it just needs a chance to, to, to level out. Um, Gerald, let's talk about the final part of the passing game and also the running game, the, the offensive line, because there had been a couple steps forward. And I don't know how – I'm curious to hear how you grade this if this was a, a – a, decided step back or if the the amount of you know rushing yards and 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 mauling they did uh where you rank them it was inconsistent there were spots where they looked really really good and you know texas graded out i think with a 3.6 line yards per rush which is not a bad performance in and of itself give Bijan three and a half yards and he's going to make something happen but there were opportunities left on the field and i think you saw Oh, there's a specific one we called out on Twitter where the Jared Wiley had a had a had a false start on a third and one, push it to a third and six. And then there was a weird miscommunication along the offensive line where I don't know if one of the backside guards didn't pull like they do sometimes in, in protection, or if Jones didn't slide right with the entire line. Like there are a couple of different things based on the way that, that Flood usually calls those things. But there was a lack of communication there. There was a there was a blown assignment somewhere. Um, and so you see those things where improvement is not a straight line. Let's say that improvement is not a straight line. And so it's kind of a wiggly. Uh, if you are a fan, if you're a fan of the good place, it's a very Jeremy Barry process where it's kind of wiggly and, and it's it's cursive. And but I think there was a lot of good that you saw. And especially uh, when the line shifted a little bit, Andre Carrick continues to be just an absolute mauler. He's not the type of body size that Kyle Flood usually likes along the line. He likes beefier dudes. And I think Carrick is more of like your dancing bear type. But He's a mauler, and so I'm curious to see with with Okafor out for the rest of the year on, on a knee injury. They didn't say it was an ACL, uh, but it was just he's having surgery at the end of, end of the season. Uh, so I, there was a lot to like, and I think the the new offensive line unit, uh, Jones, Kerstetter, Majors, Angulao, and, and Carrick from left to right, I'm curious to see what that group looks like moving forward because there were some good things when that group was on the field. I thought uh, Carrick put some guys on their keister, which I like, Uh, but I think there were some blown assignments there as well. Long story short, it's not a straight line. I think the unit is better overall, but there's still a lot that they can clean up. Yeah. I I thought Christian Jones for me had a, had a tough one. Um, The, there was a point the announcer said Horton's having the game of his life. Uh, he's you know, best day of his life. And basically that was Christian Jones. And then when, when Kari Coleman was out there, he, you know, all of a sudden Coleman's coming out of nowhere and now he's getting pressures And the common denominators. They were both just whipping Christian Jones on, on the pass rush. They, again, they returned that defensive end who wasn't there. They returned Beth Lee, their, their most experienced player on the defense at defensive tackle. They brought a lot back as Patterson does for this game that isn't on tape. And that happens every year, but, you, you saw him get after. They had three sacks all year. You saw him just get after Thompson. And, and Patterson even said it coming out of the half. Their game plan was to, to rattle Thompson. It very clearly wasn't to stop Bijan, um, mm. but it was to rattle Thompson. And it, it that happened, right? When someone schemes for you, you take the other thing and you win with it. And they did that. But, I mean, I did think that they saw weakness with our offensive line. And I'll be curious how teams continue to exploit, you know, Jones at left tackle. Uh, Carrick looked good. He had, you know, the younger guy getting, getting some starts at a couple moments that I thought could have been better. I think he had one penalty as well. But, um, uh, you know, they, they're, they're shifting Kerstetter into guard, which we, you know, both like him at, at tackle. But I thought he actually did did well at left guard. They flipped Angelo back to right to put, you know, a, an experienced guard next to Carrick on that side. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious if that's the exact lineup we see going forward, right? It, it is unfortunate that Okafor is out. But, they, you know, luckily there's, there's some guys there still and some talent and there's some upside um, with, with the line they have right now. It'll just be curious what that configuration looks like. 
So they put out the depth chart on Monday, and it looks like from left to right, you've got uh, Jones, Kerstetter, Majors, Angulao, and Carrick will be your unit. So it, we'll see that configuration moving forward unless something drastically changes. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't see anything else drastically changing uh, between here and there, but there's going to be, uh, again, some continued growth. And so they're going to have to grow up quick because OU is on the way, quickly hitting kind of the rest of the offensive performance. On third down, Texas was six of 15 average distance to go 5.8 yards so behind the chains quite a bit they were three of eight long from longer than four yards they only gained an average of 2.7 on third downs going into the game they were one of the best third down teams in the country and just tcu bowed up and didn't necessarily get a performance. And then the red zone, same thing. There were five of six in the red zone. They scored one touchdown, four field goals left, 19 points on the board in the red area. That was very unfortunate. The the Texas superpower coming into this was, you know, scoring touchdowns in the red zone and and you know being efficient on third downs. They had drops. Most of those drops we referenced earlier were on third down plays when it felt a little long for you know Bijan to have to go get third and eights and stuff, third and nines. And then again, yeah, in the, in the red zone, that's just where you expect with the backs you have, with the the diversity of options you you should in theory have to attack with with a guy like Sark, that you you know you can either scheme it or just go execute it. Um, it was interesting their 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 big man package that they ran when they got stopped on third and fourth down. They had Tope Amade in there and Devin Richardson in as fullback and Gunnar Helm in the the inline tight end. So interesting kind of personnel I hadn't seen. So you know maybe they're trying things out right where they're they're, they're figuring that out. But that red zone, uh, hopefully they can get that back because the execution there is something Sark prioritizes 19 for 20 with the one being rice at the end of the game. So basically perfect for the year scoring touchdowns. You knew that wasn't sustainable, but you want to be better than one, one or uh, yeah. One for six though. Again, kudos to, to getting the field goals, third downs, you know, it, you got to sort that out. They're still actually doing well on the season for third downs. They're, they're, they didn't drop too far, but um, again, in, in big games, the money downs, red zone, third downs. That's what I look for. I will always look for, and this wasn't their best. It wasn't their best performance, but again, Kyle, nine penalties, 97 yards, cashing out field goals instead of touchdowns, 48% post-game win expectancy, still came out with a win, winning ugly is still winning, and that's what Texas is doing right now on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, there was a little bit to be desired, especially I think on the ground game. Texas may have gotten bailed out, whether it was Zach Evans' lack of ability to take the hits or his ability to uh, block or just Gary Patterson not giving him enough carries. But Zach Evans, 15 carries for 113 yards and a score. Texas did a, a, a good job of shutting everybody else down, but Zach Evans is a guy who can catch that corner and really get up to top speed fast, and that's where he's the most dangerous. There were some spots where um, D overshone caught him by the shoestrings and saved a touchdown and it it looked like uh Zach Evans is the real deal and everything he was he was he was cracked up to be and I think if he's able to play more this is we may be having a very different conversation right now but I'm not upset about him not getting more than 15 carries but I mean again in in the initial reaction to that is man what an idiot uh Patterson and Meacham were but when he was hot there was multiple drives he he pulled himself out at least twice not three times that i saw and uh you know the drive didn't go as well after that um it it felt like he is as you would expect the only five star maybe ever to go to tcu or you know just he is such a cut above the rest of the talent um on that campus right now on the at least on the offensive side of the ball when you have a guy like that and he can't do 35 carries a game like Texas could do. But uh, yeah, I, I did think that they did a great job actually with stretching anything that got uh, to the outside, outside off tackled. I felt like the linebackers, the secondary, uh, even the ends in there, they, they really stretched things out and swarmed to the ball to tackle. Well, even if they missed some tackles, they had two or three guys there to put the play down. I, I mean, I, if you look at it, probably 90, 95% of Texas's rushing yards, uh, excuse me, TCU's rushing yards came between the tackles, which is in itself a bit alarming. Um, but again, um, you hope that you can fix that and you hope that this defensive line that I don't know how many weeks in a row we're going to say this, that is supposedly one of the strengths of this team. Um, you know, you hope that before OU that Lincoln Riley, you know what he's going to do with his GT counters, that you can be ready um, to try to put some, you know, 
change that statistic a bit. Uh, Duggan ran relatively well. He didn't have a lot of yards, but a lot of his yards came on third downs and and picked up big plays running behind where they'd run Evans or, or another running back as a lead blocker. Um, kind of some Sam, Sam Ellinger type stuff, uh, not as as uh, you know, extraordinary, but uh, you know we do know Max Max Duggan goes Super Saiyan against UT. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm very glad that Max Duggan decided to play inside his body and not outside of his body like he normally does against Texas. Missed some wide open, uh, wide open receivers on a couple of spots. Uh, overthrew a few that probably would have gone for six. It, again, Texas got lucky in some spots. Let's just go ahead and say sure. it. there were some spots that would have gone the other way had yeah. Max Duggan been a better quarterback. I think better quarterbacks beat them. Some of these, some of these wide open uh, over. There was a, there was a play. I think. I, in the first quarter where overshone was just way out of alignment. It looked like he wanted to go for a timeout and yeah. they snapped the ball before he could. And the receiver was just wide open and Duggan just wasn't able to put it on him. So there's a lot left on the tape that Texas can, uh, can look at Darius Davis, uh, you know, the wide receivers for TCU didn't really have much of a game. You know, Johnston got hurt. I think Davis was banged up a little bit too. Like their skill players just couldn't get it done. I think on the outsides of the defense and or the offense. And so that shut them down quite a bit. Their offensive line played well. They only gave up a sack. They gave three and a half line yards per rush, but just like less than a open one open field yard per rush. So there's a lot of uh, TCU's offensive line that did not play well and Texas took advantage of it. Turnovers are the reason that Texas won this game, right? It, oh, not capital with points off those turnovers was the infuriating thing of why it felt like this could have been a three-score game for Texas if they, instead of field goals on three turnovers and nine points, turned that into 21 points on three turnovers, right? Um, and that, you know, that's that's frustrating. And there was a fourth turnover where basically Duggan throws the INT with Overshone and Brockermeyer, just one of them says same team uh, and lets the other catch it. But they, they basically fought for it all the way down and, and it got dropped. Um, so again, I will take a defense that's going to be opportunist to get the ball back. They, like you said, I don't think the TCU receivers were able to beat the Texas corners, and that's Texas without Josh Thompson, and will be back this week. Um, their best cornerback this season, Darian Dunn, stepped up and, and played physical and played well. Jamison, you know, better than getting beat twice in two throws against Tech. So that's that's good. That's improvement. I did think Overshone had a tough game. He was asked to do a lot in this when he missed some tackles, was kind of running all over um, – had a good game in some spots, but there were some things where you still saw a guy who's, you know, a year and a half into a development curve of, of being a linebacker. So, you know, Brockermeyer missed on that, that opening touchdown had basically Zach Evans just, you know, it's like a Tecmo Super Bowl, just powered up and charged through. He uh, blasted A on that one. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And just, you know, shrugged him off and ran in for the the opening touchdown. So th- there's some things to, to work on. I, again, no pressure ever on Duggan. I don't know if that was by design. I did think the uh, the blitz when it came was so, so sweet. You know, it, it felt like their decision was to drop seven or eight every time. But then somehow of Duggan's 20 completions, probably 16 of those were just wide open guys, right? It, I don't think Duggan really did anything special in this game except a couple good scrambles and, and some really, really good pleas to the officials that, that resulted in some some chintzy penalties. <laughs> but, you know. The officiating was terrible. was awful. was was no good, dirty, rotten for both teams. I was going to say, the, let, let's be what, fair. Yeah. One thing that everybody can agree on after this game is that the officiating was absolutely that water at the bottom of the trash bag that like drips down your leg when you're trying to take it out and you're already frustrated and late for work right like that's what the officiating was in this game and everybody can agree to that so horrible targeting horrible 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 targeting call that that benefited texas should not have been targeting. First of all, TCU called the timeout because they had nine guys on the field, yes, and that's yeah. when they reviewed the targeting. Yeah. It's like there's this, there's it's just such a weird sequence of events that led to that exact thing happening. On special teams, Cameron Dicker, special teams player of the week, four of four for field goals. They changed holders. Hudson Card was was taken off of holding duties, and they put in. Uh, I have never heard of this person before, but apparently he is a football player at the University of Texas, Zach Edwards, as the holder for him on. On, uh, on field goals and extra points, four four. Keep it if 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 this Zach Edwards kid is good, <laughs> then let's keep him there, right? Uh, two punts for ninety three yards. Pin the returner inside the five, where Texas picked up a muffed punt. Not a great game from Texas, but again, win them ugly, and it looks like I may have to win ugly for Podstradamus moving forward. Gerald, I, before we we move right there, I just wanted to tell you this was the, almost the craziest stat. I was going to make it trivia, but I just I will 
just tell you and the listeners, Texas is number two performer in total yards in this game. After Bijan Robinson, obviously, you don't count a quarterback in, in total yards. So take the quarterback out, take Bijan out. Deshaun Jameson was our number two yard accruer in this game, which again, he had 76 of those in the return game, which is great. Another 15 in the fumble. Uh, Whittington was not terribly far behind him with, I think, you know, just under 80. But still, when your kick returner cornerback is number two in, in yards accounted for, you got to get some other guys uh, stepping up a bit. But did also did not want to leave this podcast without talking about one guy in particular who has stepped up this whole year. He won a position battle that no one saw him winning. Anthony Cook came in, assumed the role of the nickelback in this new defense, and just looked at these photographs. Sorry, nickelback every time. Eight tackles, two for a loss. That sack I mentioned that led to a forced fumble, which he recovered. He had a lot of plays where he was one-on-one in space, needed to tackle, needed to do something. Just, you know, if he doesn't make it, they maybe get another 15 yards. Just looked like Texas's best player. And maybe on the whole on the year on the defense has been Texas's most consistent and maybe arguably best player on the defense. And I don't think anyone saw that coming. So, So just wanted to give a shine to a guy who absolutely has deserved it. Yeah, he has. He's lived up to the hype, or finally lived up to the hype, I think is the way right. to say it, because it's been a lot of hype for a long time, and I think he's managed sure. to finally come into it and, and continue to grow, and we, we're big fans of yours. So again, Kyle, on the Potsdamas front, you take a 7-4 lead. You hit on both your Bijan outgaining Zach, uh, Zach Evans and Duggan going for under 300. Bijan went way over 125. I should probably, honestly, <laughs> do you, count that for two. Do you want a double? I will give you one. I will give give you an extra point if he doubles up i feel like it's fair if he doubles it up he he didn't quite double it but i will give it to you nonetheless (laughs) i'll give it to you right now if you you include his receiving yards he doubled it up but it's fine uh anywho kyle leads seven to four uh because texas had three shots at non-offensive touchdowns and was just not able to do it uh there were two both of those fumble recoveries could have and should have been (laughs) scooping scores and they didn't happen and it's fine i still love you all but texas Big game this week taking on the Oklahoma Sooners in Dallas. We'll be back for our preview on... So now it's part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we bring you up to date on all the other sports and we down the 40. Again, we'll keep you up with the best team on campus. Number one, Texas Volleyball opened up conference play with a... Set of back-to-back sweeps over the West Virginia Mountaineers, 3-0 and 3-0 on Thursday and Friday. In the Thursday opener, Skylar Fields went for 16 kills, Logan Eggleston 12-9 and on Friday. Fields, again, was the leader, 15 kills, Eggleston. Only 8 kills, pedestrian night, but backed it up with 10 gigs. Molly Phillips, uh, 5 kills and 5 blocks in that winner. Next up for Texas is Kansas on Saturday and Sunday this weekend. They'll travel to Manhattan for that one. Texas soccer. The year started off a little shaky, Kyle, but they are been on a tear as of late. After pulling to a 1-1 draw with number 10 TCU, they went out and won 1-0 over Texas Tech to close out the weekend. 3-0-1 in conference play for them. 7-3-3 on the year. Texas had to play from behind for a lot of that TCU game and showed a lot of heart getting back into that one. Absolutely. And TCU's women's soccer team is better than their football team. They are number 10 in the country. They are a good, good team. Obviously, Trinity Byers did what she does. She she uh, scored uh, her eighth of the season. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was it was a really good uh, game. Overtime, our keeper had eight uh, saves total. I mean, just a just a good, good match uh, there to get it to get a draw. Um, the, the interesting thing about this is volleyball, soccer, football. Texas is undefeated in the Big 12. They hate us, but can't beat us. Just try to be competitive, everybody else. So, so Texas, <laughs> like I said already, 7-3-3 three, and three on the year, 3-0-1 oh, in conference play. Next up for them, Iowa State at home softball. It's fall ball time. Kyle, softball kicked off. Fall ball with a 17-1 win over in a scheduled 10 innings over McLennan Community College, and then an 18-1 win in another 10 scheduled innings over Texas Lutheran. The bats were alive for Texas in these somewhat non-competitive matchups. 
Yeah, take that, McCoco, as I believe what you call McLennan Community College, and, and also Seguin, the pride of Seguin, Texas, Texas Lutheran. What I like to see is Janae Jefferson is back. She never left. She's great, going four for four, couple doubles. Uh, Lauren Burke, you know, you know, these are the names that you know, two for three, three run home runs. Shea O'Leary pitched three solid innings there. And then you have a couple new names, you know, that, that may not be as familiar to fans. Uh, junior shortstop, Kenzie Parker, uh, four for six with a double couple RBI. There's going to be some some really good play from from this team this year. You know that I'm I'm in on the softball team. Excited to see Jordan Whitaker take that next step and be one of the best players on this team. Excited for some of the new arms and new players that are coming in. I think this can uh, this could be another good one. The Big Twelve is so stacked in softball, though, admittedly, um, and you got to go through OU. But I I, I like I like uh, I like this team. It's hard not to like this team. Again, hard to see your star pitcher go to Oklahoma State, an in-state uh, or an in-conference rival, but I think they've got a lot left in them uh, and a lot to say about the conference uh, title under Mike White. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, let's follow this football season. We're all football crazy, but just a reminder, we are only a little over a month out from Texas men's and Texas women's basketball season. I was thinking about it when I was excited to see LaMarcus Aldridge come back and play NBA basketball preseason, admittedly, but playing basketball, being healthy enough to do so, uh, which looks like he's going to play this year, which is great. Um, but more importantly for those on the 40 acres, uh, I love the, you know, Vic Schaefer's media availabilities always make me feel like, you know, just a good pep talk. I always feel great. Chris Beard. I just love that guy. So Beard does his fireside <laughs> chats right we we know he did them at texas tech he promised he was going to do them here i talked about his first one it was great well uh, this past week he released his second and he had a different guest on his uh on his chat than he did the first time when he had two guests on on campus this time he went out to a field and interviewed bevo um which again Chris Beard's kind of weird in a good way. He's kind of a goober, and I love it. He actually would ask Bevo questions and then speak his answers for him, and it was kind of a gag, but it was it was funny. You know, I like Beard. He's got some personality. He's not afraid to put himself out there. Bevo's answers were that his favorite spot to eat, besides assumably, presumably the grass at DKR, was uh, the Texas Chili Parlor, um, which, uh, again, is great. Uh, great recommendation from Bevo on Leon Bridges' uh, Texas Sun, which is a great song. I listened to that while driving back from San Antonio uh, to Houston after the after the UT game. Um, and then also <laughs> took a shot at the internet trolls while also, uh, I think, just being hilarious and conscious in, in 2021, but mentioned that he respects Bevo for his uh his his positive body body image and never getting down on himself he then commented that the trolls have suggested that chris beard let's say trolls the trolls from lubbock who are angry that chris beard left them uh have commented on underneath texas social media posts that chris beard needs to lose some weight and or looks pregnant but again uh haters gonna hate stay mad uh all of you and get wrecked uh lubbock but i I, you know i i just i'm excited that we are going to have basketball soon. We're going to have football, excelling basketball, getting up there. I mean, we have a lot of programs that are good right now playing. We just mentioned undefeated in Big 12, but we have two programs getting ready to kick off swimming also um, that, you know, there's a lot of talent. We have a director's cup to defend. We need every one of these sports to keep being top 10 Texas or better. And Chris Beard's got me fired up. Yeah, I mean, one, we're a body positive podcast through and through. We'll always be a body positive podcast. Uh, But like... I love seeing these coaches getting to lean into their personalities. And Chris Beard is always seemed like he's kind of an, an odd duck and kind of marches to the beat of his own drum. Uh, and so getting him to do these things seems like the right thing. And again, it's a recruiting tool as well. People get to see his personality. There's a lot that goes into it. So I like it. I love it. And I will continue to watch those as they come out. So I'm banging the drum this week on kickoff times. There's been a lot of conversation about the possibility of Texas playing four straight 11 a.m. kickoffs. If you're new with us, the Texas Tech game was an 11 a.m. kickoff. The TCU game was an 11 a.m. kickoff. The OU game is always an 11 a.m. kickoff. And now the conference announced that there would be the six-day option, which sounds like a Christian rock album from 2007. But it sounds like the Big 12 either wants to see who wins this Saturday between Texas and OU. And then the winner gets the 630 spot and the loser gets the 11 a.m. spot. And 
there's been a lot of frustration at Texas getting this 11 a.m. spots. And one, let's not mess with success. Texas 2-0 <laughs> in conference play in these kickoffs. If Texas goes 3-0, I want every other game for the rest of the year to be at 11 a.m. <laughs> if Texas goes 3-0 and uh, to start conference play at 11 a.m. kickoffs. But there's also uh, an interesting tidbit. When you've got a bunch of big recruits coming in, 11 a.m. is the preferred time. And did you know that a bunch of high-priority recruits are going to be in Austin for the Oklahoma State game? And so maybe 11 a.m. kickoff may not be such a bad thing when you've got a priority receiver you need to land in this class coming in. You've got some five-star guys coming into this class. As long as the fans show up, that could be a big opportunity for Texas because well, the last time Texas had a had an 11 a.m. game, a five-star cornerback sat in Steve Sarkeesian's offense and watched AM crap the bed against Arkansas. So, like, there's a lot that can happen. The amount of time the coaches get to spend with these guys, the amount of time the players get to spend with these guys after the game is over skyrockets on these early games. And so 11 a.m. games, especially on a big recruiting weekend, not always a bad thing. Let's just chill. Keep winning. And the kickoff time doesn't matter. I love it. The, the The biggest thing you said there, Gerald, is it's great and perfect and all that if the fans show up. 11 a.m. is tough. I know. You got to slam your breakfast tacos, get a couple beers in, and then go into the stadium early. Um, but I believe there was something about coming early and being loud and staying late and all of that. Um, but, yeah, it, it is up to the fans creating that atmosphere it shouldn't be quite so miserably hot as it was for our first, uh, which is actually 2.30, uh, but daytime game of the season against Louisiana. Uh, so no excuses. Fill that stadium up. Be loud. Create the environment. Get get crutes. You, as fans, can actually influence the success of Texas football, not by tweeting at them, not by things you post in message boards, but by going to the stadium and cheering your tail off. Get out there. Enjoy it. Scream loud. Again, if, Tex- if Texas comes out of this, undefeated in conference play and you're not there for whatever time the kickoff is and you've got an opportunity there's something wrong with you that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet oh you can follow me on twitter at kyle Kerb. you can also follow the texas pregamer at texas pregamer you can follow me on twitter i am at gh goodridge i'm like 10 followers from a thousand so if you're on twitter and not following me please do that you can also follow the show on twitter at longhorn pod we're like 45 followers from 2000 so if you're on twitter and not following the show please do that as well you can hit us up on facebook and twitter the longhorn republic or shoot us an email longhorn republic pod at gmail.com gerald i just want to tell everyone i don't usually break into this segment but the only social media platform that didn't go down today was Twitter. So if you want to know Gerald and I's thoughts while the great social media exodus of, of 2021 or whatever was happening, you got to go to our Twitter. You got to follow. Even if you're usually on Facebook or Instagram or Haytel, I don't know, it was Snapchat, whatever the other mediums are, go create a Twitter account. Follow only the show, Gerald and myself, and your life will be better for it. You absolutely, your life will be better for it. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em. Hook em. Oh, you sucks. Hook em. Oh, you sucks.